All right, grab your Bibles to, and turn to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. We're going to do verses 1 to 41 today, and then we're going to do next week, we're going to kind of do a tag-along message. It's a bonus message uh, for verses 42 to 47, and then we will start Romans chapter 12 together. All right, a little church history for you here as we get this started. It's interesting to watch. There he is. Congratulations, Mike. I was waiting for you. Um, I'm assuming you're getting lots of sleep because grandma and grandpa are here. Is that more sleep than before? Okay, gotcha. If you're getting more sleep, something's wrong. So we need to we need to talk. But uh, congratulations, and I'm glad that uh, Aaron has arrived. Um, little church history is where we're at here. So. As we watch from the time of Jesus and the apostles on, there have been a number of times where those in the church said, okay, time out here. What we're doing isn't what scripture teaches, and so there's an adjustment that's made. Sometimes the problem is that that adjustment can sometimes maybe be an overcorrection at times, and it becomes extra biblical. Sometimes it just becomes an identity thing. So give me, give you, let me give you a couple examples. So... As Martin Luther kind of started what we call the Protestant Reformation, he comes along and says, hey, Catholic Church, Pope, you're doing it wrong. That's not what the Bible says. And so all those who kind of went with him became known as Lutherans. So Lutheran isn't in the Bible because Luther's not in the Bible. So it became that group of, of folks. Well, long, not too much longer after that became the Presbyterians, which is interesting because Presbyterian, all it means is it's the Greek word for elder, presbuteros. So they became known for a biblical, biblical term for their, their policies or their government, which is interesting. So they're known as Presbyterians. Then there were the Mennonites that were named after a guy named Menno Simons, but they were known for rebaptizing. And so again, coming out of the Catholic Church, baptized as babies. They were rebaptizing. In fact, they were persecuted significantly for that. Then you have the Puritans, who obviously take their name from purity. They wanted to be, we want to be the pure church. They were very pietistic. You have the Congregationalists, which, like the Presbyterians, uh, we're going to be Congregationalists. We're not going to be uh, top-down. We're going to be bottom-up. A lot of congregational churches today. Episcopalians was another form of government. It means overseer. The, the uh, uh, the Episcopalians are actually the Anglican church here in America that was in England, the Anglican church. Now, here's where we're getting in. And then you get to the Baptists, okay, which many of our, the Bapt, we're, we're the Baptists. And we come out of primarily uh, stuff that happened in England, but there's, there's some differing views on that. And the Baptists are known for baptizing by immersion, so it was a clarification on the mode of baptism to say we're going to be known as Baptists. And then you've got the Pentecostals. And the Pentecostals get all of their identity from one day, from Pentecost, saying that was the day the Spirit came. I say all that to point out this, okay? The Pentecostals don't have a trademark. They don't own Pentecost. The Baptists don't own baptism, the Presbyterians don't own elders. The Puritans don't own purity. And so I want to point out today that, that what we're going to, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And my guess is that there are quite a number of backgrounds and beliefs and traditions within this room on 
the role of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to point out to you today is that, that we're going to let the Bible guide what it says, not your experience or, or lack of experience with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a both and we're going to come to scripture. And so we're going to just walk through Acts chapter two today and just be reminded of the third person of Trinity, how he shows up in a big way. We're going to look at verses 1 to 41, not mention that, and then next week, 42 to 47, which, by the way, I preached this passage on March 3rd, 2019. It wasn't too long after I'd been here. I got here in August of 2018. So I'm actually reusing a good chunk of the outline. I changed it a little bit. So either one, you weren't here March 3rd of 2019, or two, you don't remember what we talked about, or number three, if you happen to remember, you're just going to hear it again, and the Holy Spirit wants you to hear it again. So this is a kind of a reuse of a sermon, and uh, you can get over that. So lots of verses. Let me just break it to you in your notes in three sections. You actually see the verses in your notes today, and here's the first one is the Spirit shows up. Holy Spirit comes, He's here, shows up. Now, before we look at verses 1 to 13, let's just pop back into chapter 1 for a very brief moment and kind of set the scene because the book of Acts was written by who? No. Luke. There you go. Yeah. Okay, pastor's wife. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and uh, Acts to a guy named... Theophilus, good, okay? So he's telling the story of the acts of the apostles or the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a both and kind of situation. So in chapter one, verse nine, right after he said, you're gonna go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. We call this the ascension. So the that life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And while they were gazing into heaven, they're just standing there, where as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, probably angels, and said, uh, men of Galilee, what you looking at? You know, why, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And you wonder what their reaction was. We don't know exactly, except they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. But it says this, a Sabbath day's journey away. So a Sabbath day journey was different than a regular day's journey because you weren't allowed to break a sweat on Sabbath. So you had to go a little bit slower, okay? This would be like, this is a Dan walk versus an Amanda walk, okay? Those are two different things there. The speed makes a difference. So they go back there, and then it says, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, probably just had like a month-by-month like -month lease in this place, I don't know, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, named them all specifically, because here's why I'll explain it in a second. And all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to doing what? They were praying. God... We need help. What, what are we supposed to do now? Like all this, Jesus is now gone. What are we supposed to do? Together with the, woman, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Probably, I think there's another passage that says 120 folks were up there. So right after this, 
Peter says, time out, you know what? We need to replace Judas. So they cast lots and they replace him with a guy named who? Come on, Matthias. So Matthias replaces Judas and then we pick up the story in chapter two. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were right there in the upper room. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. By the way, on, on Wednesday night, we're, we're worshiping in this, this tent, and, and the wind just kept coming through. And I'm like, I hope that's the Holy Spirit, because I'm not sure I want to be in a tent uh, in a storm. Sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were there for a feast. And at that at this sound, the multitude, they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Whole bunch of people see a commotion going on. They come over there and they begin to hear their language, their, their tongue, their language, um, speak in their own language, hearing that. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, wait, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Jews who are they're, they're blood Jews. The proselytes are non-Jewish, but they're following the Jewish God. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues what? What's that last phrase there? The mighty works of God. They're not talking about the weather. They're not just talking about sports and just hanging out. It's like, no, this is a God event, and we're going to tell you about it, and they're hearing it in their own language. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what's this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. These guys are drunk. This is crazy stuff. So what was Pentecost? Day of Pentecost marked one of the three major feasts on Israel's annual calendar. The name comes from its occurrence on the 50th day after Passover. So this is roughly 50 days from the death of Jesus Christ. Make that connection. This is about 10 days after uh, the last time they saw Jesus. It says God uses sign. Oh, wait, um, I'm back up. Um, all these people then were in Jerusalem from all over the known world for that reason. Disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem because Jesus had told them to want you to wait here in Jerusalem until when? Until the Holy Spirit comes, until the helper comes. So they're waiting, they're praying together, they're making decisions like replacing Judas, and then this happens. So let me point out two things from these verses. One is that God uses signs, miracles, just supernatural stuff to indicate when something special is happening. If you just go back and read scripture, oftentimes when the supernatural happens, it's just this like 
hey, pay attention here. God is doing something special. Mighty rushing wind, divided tongues of fire. People are hearing language in their own language from the Galileans. It's an intense scene. Sounds, sight, and speech. Now, there's a lot of debate about what speaking in tongues means. There's probably differences even in this room on what speaking in tongues is all about. But here's what we can agree on, is that God is doing something special here for a special reason. God's a powerful God. God can do powerful things. God is still doing powerful things. And when we look at scripture, major events, turning points in God's overall great plan are often accompanied by the supernatural. Notice that these languages here are actually known languages. That this is in contrast to what many consider Paul saying in 1 Corinthians about heavenly languages or angelic languages. All these people are hearing about the mighty works of God in their own language. What I find most fascinating, one of the things I find most fascinating about this passage is that many commentators believe that this is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. So you remember at the Tower of Babel, they're saying, hey, we're going to make a great name for ourselves. We're going to build this tower. It's going to reach way up to heaven, up to the skies. And God says, no, 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 time out here. I'm going to make a name great of this guy, Abram, and I'm going to give the rest of you. I'm going to spread you out because you're supposed to be spread out Uh, taking my, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with my image, and they weren't doing that, so he separated them by their languages. That's why we believe today, that's why we have so many different language groups, was because of the Tower of Babel. This is different. This is bringing them all together under one focus, and that is on Jesus, which you'll see here in a minute, which leads us to the second point in in these verses. God's plan is for the message of Jesus to go to all nations, Started with Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob, 12 tribes, and then it just grew from there. And eventually, it was God's plan for that to go to the Gentile nations, which you and I say, hey, praise God, that's us too. And it began to all nations, and we know that it's going to end. The book of Revelation talks about all tribes, tongues, nations surrounding the throne, worshiping God. This is the, a turning point. This is, I'm not just going to work with the Jews anymore. I'm now going to work with all nations. And there's a picture of that. And you'll see in Peter's sermon here how that's going to come about. So we've got the Spirit shows up. Now we've got Peter preaching. Verses 14 to 36. Peter preaches. But before we do that, I want you to stop for a moment and think about Peter. This knucklehead. It wasn't two months before this, less than two months, he denies Christ three times. It was less than two months, he took a sword and just impetuously cut off the, the, the ear of the soldier. And then Pastor Mike walked us through John chapter 21. What was Peter doing in John 21? Anybody remember? Without you telling us. He's out there with John doing what? No, no, that's 20. Chapter 21, I thought Jesus is gone. He's like, no, he's out there fishing. He's like, like, I'm not sure I want to do all this. And Jesus comes to him and says, no, 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 you got you to feed my sheep. You got a job to do here, bro. So here's this Peter 
that, that you would think, you know, he's really going to be the spokesperson when you just denied Jesus three times? I just want to point out that God can use any one of us if he can use Peter. And that's really a theme throughout all of Scripture. By God's grace, he can use you and me, thankfully. And sometimes he'll use us sooner than we think. But Peter, verse 14 standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. So all you visitors and you local folks, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. Like, pay attention here. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, the third hour of the day. Now, in some places, that would probably be acceptable to be drunk at nine in the morning. Back then, it wasn't. Probably shouldn't be now either. But this is what was uttered through the prophet who? Joel. Joel is one of the minor prophets. Looked at that last summer. We took a week for every one of the minor prophets. I think it was last summer, wasn't it? Maybe summer before, I don't know. But uh, each one of the messages, the, the prophets were appointing, uh, were talking about a future time of God's judgment and God's blessings moving forward. This is what Joel says. In the last days, so what Joel is saying, in the last days, which probably got the attention of those listening to Peter. They'd be like, wait, we're, we're in the last days? Even back in Jesus' day, it was in the last days. I'll explain that in a second. It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on, what's the next word there? All flesh. Guess what the Greek word all means in the Greek? All Okay, it's straightforward, okay? All flesh, this is different because remember, in the Old Testament, the spirit would come and go for special purposes. And he's saying there's gonna come a day when the spirit is going to indwell on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Which by the way, um, I... I should know this because I have access to the stuff, but when I walk in on Sunday mornings, I'm always pleasantly surprised of the variety of worship leaders that we have. Sometimes you got, you know, old geezers like Daryl and Alan leading up here, you know. But today we've got girls in the youth group helping lead us in worship. That's a beautiful thing. And we've got, you know, he's not in here, but Terry's an old geezer too. So, so we've got young, we've got old, we've got men, we've got women. They're helping lead some of this stuff. That's what God is, about, what he's doing. He says, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. They shall proclaim, they shall say, this is the truth, this is the great mighty works of God. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the what? What's that phrase there? No, the day of the Lord come, the great and magnificent day. Let me pause here for real quick. In the Old Testament, when a prophet would receive a word from the Lord and then he would turn around and proclaim it to the people, oftentimes what was happening is as he was looking forward, the day of the Lord was coming. He wasn't able to see the difference between the first and the second coming. It was all just one big day of the Lord. We're on this side of the cross 
And we're in that process where the great day of the Lord was started when Jesus came, but it's going to be finished someday. And so we live in this already, not yet, to where we can look back at this time when Christ came and Pentecost and the Spirit came, but there's coming a day when even greater things are going to happen. And we're kind of in the middle of all that called the great day of the Lord, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that, what's the word there? What's that next word? That who? Everyone. Guess what it means in the Greek? Everyone. See, you're catching on. Who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to see uh, three points in, in Peter's sermon. Here's number one. God keeps his promises. The Holy Spirit coming is a fulfillment of the promise of God. This, what, do you know what this means? This Old Testament stuff actually means something. Like the, there's actually a tie between Old and New Testament. I told you over and over again, and I'll keep telling you. It, there, it's all one big story. It begins with creation. And, and everything's made just exactly the way God wants it to be, but then there's rebellion. Adam and Eve sin. We sin in Adam. Everything's broken. But then there's this teeny little promise, Genesis 3.15, of a Messiah. Whole Old Testament unpacks that and talks about all these failures. Jesus is better than Moses and David and Abraham, all of that. And then it looks forward to a day when Jesus comes. And that's redemption. But then everything's going to be fixed someday when it comes to restoration. I just want to make sure you, you're reminded of this. If you ever, some of you probably never even noticed that it's in the bulletin. But we, you know, that creation, fall, redemption, restoration is, is our liturgy. It's how we worship every Sunday by telling the gospel story. What's kind of fun is um, in my, my studies right now, in my, my doctoral program, I'm taking that, that biblical story and I'm applying it to counseling because I think it's the same story. So if I'm, I'm working with, with somebody, it's like I gotta give them a picture of the way God wants it to be. And then we talk about the fall and, and the brokenness in our life and the brokenness, the suffering that we do because of, of what other people sin. But then there's, there's hope because Jesus came and he redeemed and he gives a, a, the, the hope for a future restoration. And so there's, I, my, my brain is in this creation, fall, redemption, restoration right now as it applies to all of that. But God is a God of promises. He's a promise keeper. That's what Peter wants them to hear, but he also wants them to hear that God gives everyone the same opportunity for salvation. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons, daughters, young men, old men, male and female servants, they're gonna prophesy. And he sums it up in verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is kind of a big deal. The Jews thought it was just about them. And he said, no, 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 time out. It's for everyone. Think about it from their perspective. Like, wait, wait, what? I mean, this is a major deal. They've been waiting for the Messiah. Messiah comes, doesn't do what they want to do, and now he's going to, like... He's letting in all the neighbors? Like, wait, what's going on here? Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. It's going to get pretty intense now. He's going to change the subject. He's not going to talk about the Spirit anymore. He's going to talk about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Hey, that, that guy that, that God said, hey, he's the guy, he's the man, he's the Messiah, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, like this was God's plan all along, you crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. But guess what? God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. When I read that verse, you know what I think of? I think of Aslan. All tied down there and then just starts to pop and just breaks free and that's a picture of the resurrection. Death could not hold him no longer. Now, what Peter's gonna do, he's talking to Jews. Who is the Jews' hero? David. Okay. Jerusalem is the city of David. He's gonna say, hey, guess what? Even your hero points to Jesus. Look at verse 25. For David says concerning him, which by the way, there's several quotes here, uh, Psalm uh, 16 and Psalm 110, and it's kind of, Peter's just kind of weaving it all together. He says, for David says concerning him, this is David now, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I, might not be, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, it gets complicated thinking through all of this, but, but just get the big picture of what uh, Peter is saying about David. Peter is saying that David is pointing to Jesus. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he's dead. He both died, he was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He's our hero, but he's dead. Being therefore a prophet, David being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, we know this from Chronicles. In fact, some of us are still in the Bible reading plan. This is happening right now where David knows that someday there's going to come a king, an eternal king that's going to sit on his throne. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. So what, what David is quoting in Psalm 16, Peter is saying that's about Jesus about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. A lot of times we talk about the Apostles' Creed, is that he went to hell for three days and came back. That's where we get this. Peter's saying that David says this about Jesus. It's it complicated, I know. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses. It's only 10 days ago that I had some fish with Jesus. That's what he's saying. Like, I, 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 I've seen it with my own hands, my own eyes. He's right there. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. See the connection there? Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Who is being exalted at the right hand of God? Jesus, okay? And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
okay? Same team. He has poured out this so that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Like, I've seen all this stuff. Let me tell you about it so you can see and you can hear. Let me, let me, I mean, I'm, I'm pulling out the David card and saying, believe David. For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he himself says, this is the Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, there's a lot there, okay? And, and I'm just picturing Peter just kind of winging it. I mean, he didn't, he didn't sit down and prepare a sermon. He's just kind of watching what happened and just begins firing under the authority and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They killed the Messiah, but here's the third point. God exalts Jesus as Lord and Christ. What's going on here is that the pouring out of the Spirit is a sign pointing to something bigger. The life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. God's mighty work. That's what the Spirit's job is. The Spirit's job is to point to Jesus. We'll come back to that in a second. Let's finish with the last few verses, 37 to 41. Now, Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches. What are the people going to do? Well, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? They saw the truth. They're like, oh, 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 we get it. What, what, what do we do? And Peter says, repent. Now, just to clarify, repent. We often describe repentance as action, and there are times when that is true. But what in Jesus' context, and especially in Peter's context here, repentance is on the inside. It's on the heart, that it's, it's a repentance of the heart that says, what I believed and, and, and was committed to is wrong. Peter says, repent. And then take action, be baptized. By, it's an outward sign of an inward belief. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise it's for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, all the descendants down the road, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He's given the gospel. He's saying this is a big deal. And then it says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. It, don't know how long, but he probably just pulled up a stool and says, okay, Q&A time. What, what do we need to talk about Jesus? He used a lot more words to do this. Reminds me of, um, I don't know if many of you uh, paid attention uh, this last week, but um, Tim Keller passed away um, last Friday. So I've been listening to all these podcasts of people who have appreciated Tim. And, but one of the things that Tim was known for at his church, Redeemer Church, Presbyterian Church in New York City, is most Sundays he'd sit down and just do like an hour and a half long Q&A because there were all these non-believers that would always ask him all these questions. That's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing like Peter and Tim Keller, kind of the same thing. Like, like let me tell you about Jesus. And Peter would say, 
He used that to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then look what happened. Those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's kind of a big deal. We're going to see more happen in the weeks to come in, in, in the book of Acts. The crowds convert. Converted, I don't know. I didn't put that in the past tense. They recognized who Jesus was. They were cut to the heart. What do we do? Peter gives clear instructions, repent, be baptized. So on Pentecost, the Spirit points to Jesus. Catch that. Now, we have brothers and sisters in kind of our circles or, or even other church circles that really make a big deal out of the Holy Spirit. And that, that's, that's good and that's okay. But I want to point out, I want to remind us that what Scripture's teaching is, yes, we are to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. We're to be moved by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, comforted by the Spirit, guided, instructed, taught, illumined. There's all these, these convicted, all these things that the Holy Spirit does. But I'm giving you plain truth from Scripture. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. They're all in this together. It is the, it is the story of God's promise to redeem his people through Jesus Christ, and that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up, and we're just gonna, um, we're gonna close by just a short time of prayer. I'm gonna invite you to come and receive the, the elements, and I'm gonna invite you to the table. And then we're gonna sing a song that might not be familiar to you. If it's not, just encourage you to listen, but it's called Spirit of the Living God. And I think it just says, well, like, like the Spirit's here, to help us know God, be in his presence, but it's through Jesus Christ. And so I just want us to, today's just a, in fact, I, I, my guess is that for most of you, what I said today wasn't anything new at all. But we all need reminded. That's why we kind of use calendars to remind us of truth, and that's what today is all about. So let me just lead us in a prayer, and then I invite you to come receive the elements, and then we'll take a moment and uh, take the communion together in just a few minutes. Father, we, we pause and we again say thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your written word and how it all works together. As we look back on this specific day, many years ago, something special happened and you fulfilled your promise. You sent your son you sent your son first, but then to back that up, you sent your spirit to dwell among those who believe in Jesus Christ. And we just say thank you. We recognize the authority of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in pointing us to Jesus. We give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.